Proverbs chapter 13 tonight, since you all filibustered the, the chapter last week with so much good discussion on how to rear children, uh, we'll, we'll continue chapter 13 tonight um, and hopefully finish that up this evening. Um, but I, no, I really, uh, I enjoyed last week's lesson. I appreciate all the discussion. Um, it's the more that classroom setting when, when we have discussion and questions and things like that, a little bit less of a, than a lecture. So we're going to start back in chapter 13, and I've got a, a group of verses here on, on the screen, 2 through 4, 12, 19, and 25. And there's a little bit of a thread between all these verses. Um, we're grouping them together because of a, a similar Hebrew vocabulary within these verses, and there's really a similar theme, which I, I hope you see. Um, but let's read verse 2 through 4 uh, to start with. Solomon wrote, from the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. All right, so we actually see the same Hebrew word in these three verses, and we'll see it as we go through here. Um, in five of these, I believe we have six verses here, but in five of these six verses, we have the same Hebrew word used. It's just translated differently in English. The ESV translates the word desire in verse 2, the word life in verse 3, the word soul both times in verse 4, I believe, and also 19, which we haven't read yet. And then in verse 25, the ESV is going to use the word appetite. All of those words come from the same Hebrew word. Um, verse 12 does not have this exact word, but if you skip down and look at it, you'll probably see the word heart. Okay, and so while it's not the exact word, it's not talking about your blood pumping organ. It's, it's talking about you, who you are at your core. And so it, it's similar. And what this word really means, uh, this one author says, is this word is the essence of who you are. It's your very life. And we see that really with the word life and the word soul. Okay, sometimes it could be breath or something like that. But it's, um, it's who you are. It's your very existence and your, your very life. So we're going to see that word used. And if you look in verse 2 and verse 3, we start to see the importance of our speech again. He says, from the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good. What's the fruit of your mouth? your words. You say, what does that mean? The fruit, of, the fruit of your mouth is how you speak. And so if you speak wise and you speak good and you speak truth, then that, that has a way of coming back to you. And you, you harvest that and you, you eat that. It's a good thing. But the reverse is true, is that if violence is the outcome, or violence is the outcome, if your desire, and that word desire can mean soul, life. It's, it's who you are. If who you are is this treacherous person, it's going to lead to violence, not to good. It's, uh, it's really strong here. If you go to verse 3, we see once again the wisdom of, of watching what you say and guarding your mouth. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And that word life is the same word here, this soul. It's, it's who you are. Um, Maybe guarding your mouth means keeping a secret, you know, that someone's entrusted to you. 
Maybe it means just guarding your words carefully and, and sort of watching what you say and, and who you're around and things like that. Sometimes I think in our world we call it a filter. Have you ever met anyone who didn't have a filter? You don't have to raise your hand and you don't have to say, tell me their names. But you know you don't actually have to say everything you think and you don't have to say everything you know. There's some quiet, godly strength and wisdom in, in having a filter and guarding and watching what you say closely. Solomon says that will guard your life. It will guard your soul. So that's pretty strong. However, the reverse is sadly true, right? Someone with no filter, they will wind up in ruin. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble really quickly if you just say anything that comes to your mind, and especially if it's untrue, if it's lies and slander, if it's ugly, you can create a lot of problems for yourself. So we've, we've seen this um, encouragement to watch our, our speech before from Solomon, uh, but here we have this idea of you know bridling your tongue again and how your words can be used against you. What do police tell people when they make an arrest? You have the right to do what? Remain silent. Remain silent. And what about your words? Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, right? So even in our own secular legal system, there's some wisdom in keeping your mouth shut sometimes, right? And, and, and police are supposed to, to say that to, to people. So we, we, we get that. Um, and we know that our words are some of the most influential things we have. And so we need to guard them, guard them wisely and use them wisely. All right, so let's move into verse four. And it's, it's a, a very different uh, teaching. We're gonna talk about laziness and work again, but we're gonna see the same Hebrew word. It's translated differently here though. The soul of the sluggard. There's that word again, the life, the desire, the, the soul of a sluggard. He craves and gets nothing. While the soul, the life of the diligent is richly supplied. We've learned about laziness versus hard work before. Um, but with this word soul, maybe it, maybe it sort of takes it a step further. Um, a lazy man's deepest dreams will not come to fruition because he doesn't have the drive to apply himself to make them a reality. His, his soul, who he is, he craves. He gets nothing though because he's lazy and he has no work ethic and he won't finish what he starts. But the reverse is true here that someone who is diligent and who is a hard worker, his soul, his life is richly supplied. There's a, there's a blessing there for his hard work and a satisfaction that this man receives that a lazy man doesn't. Um, with that thought now, with the thought of, of a diligent hard worker sort of receiving this blessing and having this satisfaction, it sort of paves the way for the next three verses. So I want you to look down at verse 12 and then 19 and 25, and they're gonna tie in with this theme of having a desire fulfilled or a desire that's not fulfilled. All right, look at verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
Um, now, generally speaking, a desire could be good or bad. Depends on what the desire is. Here, Solomon obviously is not saying that fulfilled sinful desires bring blessings. That's not at all what he's saying, and I hope, hope we understand that. But here we have this general truth about how sorrowful we are when we really want something, we really hope for something, and it doesn't come to pass. But then when we do hope for something, when there is a desire that we have and it's fulfilled, oh man, there's satisfaction, there's, there's joy, there's, there's blessing there. And you can apply that to a lot of areas in life. Um, maybe there's a job you really wanted and it, and it didn't happen and it was, you were sorrowful. Or maybe there was a job you did want and you got it, man, and you were so happy, you were so excited. This is what Solomon's saying here, okay? There's sorrow when things are unfulfilled and there's joy when they are fulfilled. There's a satisfaction there and a blessing. But if we think back to verse 4, if you're a lazy person, you're going to have a whole lot more of these hopes fall to the ground than a diligent hard worker, right? Um, so I think we can sort of tie those, those thoughts together. Verse 12 might be the life of a Chicago Cubs fan. There's a lot of deferred hope for a long time in my life. And then in 2016, there was a fulfilled desire when we won the World Series, and that's a tree of life, you know. Maybe, maybe that's not what Solomon was talking about. All right, so look at verse, verse 19. We're going to see this desires fulfilled again. Verse 19, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. What sort of strikes me about this proverb is not the first part, not line A. We all know that we, we like it when we get a desire. When, when something we want happens, we get it. It's, it's a fulfilled desire. We're satisfied. We're enjoy, we enjoy that. That's a good thing. What surprises me is line B and that he uses the word abomination. This is the same word that describes how uh, disgusted God is by sin. Uh, that, that repulsive, abhorrent word well, here, instead of realizing this pleasant desire that smells good, a fool views turning away from evil as a stench. That's an abomination to someone like this. Leaving their sinfulness behind disgusts them. How backwards is that from the way we should be? We should be like our Heavenly Father and mentioned it Sunday. Lot was, was tore up by sin, even though we can say a lot of things about Lot that may not be very flattering all the time. But Peter says he, he was tore up about the sin that surrounded him. And the sin in this world ought to offend us. The sin in our own lives ought to offend us. It better. But this person, Solomon says... If you're a fool, it's exactly the opposite. Instead of sin being an abomination to you, turning from your sin is an abomination to you. That's what smells bad. These people don't even want to think about not doing evil. How sad is that? That should not ever describe a child of God. So let's look at verse 25 and pull this final verse of the chapter in here. And we're going to see this word again. Verse 
Verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. So the word appetite there in the ESV is from this same Hebrew word that's been translated life or soul or desire. If your desire is for evil, if you're the fool in verse 19 that won't turn away from your evil, you can crave all you want and you can get all you want and you're never going to be satisfied. There's no matter, no matter how many things of this world that you can pile up in your life, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have a big gaping hole. It won't be enough. You'll still be hungry. That's sort of the, the, the image that Solomon uses here. The reverse is great in that there is satisfaction that comes to a righteous person. And the word appetite there, it's that soul word. It's, it's who you are. Appetite's a good translation in the verse because it, it shows that imagery of being, you know, your belly lacking food, which, is, which line B talks about. So it's not that it's a bad translation, but it's, it's more than just your appetite. It's, it's you. And so a righteous man's very soul is satisfied. It's really hard to read this verse and not think about this in spiritual terms. Because the word righteous is a very spiritual word, right? And we think of, uh, I mentioned Sunday, someone's righteous. Peter called Lot righteous. That means he had faith in God. You can't be righteous without faith in God. Faith is, is required. And so if you have faith in God, then what do you ever really lack? I love the silence. If you have faith in God, you're never in need of anything. Didn't Paul learn that? He learned the secret to being content, whether he was you know, wealthy at the time or poor at the time. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm content in whatever situation I find myself in. Does it also make you think of one of the Beatitudes of Jesus? Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Why are they blessed? For they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. If you have an appetite for righteousness, if, if that's, your, that's your soul, God will fill you. God will satisfy you. And that'll be sweet. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. So considering all these verses and, and this, this thread, um, just sort of ask yourself, you know, who, who are you? What, what is your, what are you all about? What is your essence? What does is, what is your soul want? What is your appetite for? Are you a, a treacherous, lazy person who desires more of this world, who desires sinful things? Or have you put your faith in God? Are you satisfied in what God provides? Are you speaking wisdom, working hard, and just letting God take care of you? Who are you? Let's, um, let's keep going. Let's look back at uh, verse 5 and verse 6. We didn't look at these last week. Um, we're going to quickly look at these. I'm just going to mention, mention a few things right quick. Verse 5. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. 
we've been talking about the abomination and the, the stench words, so we're going we're to bring that back out again here. In verse 5, the word bring shame, you may have a note in your Bible, or it may translate it a little bit differently. Um, you may have a note that says it could be translated stench or something like that. Um, it's really close to the word for something that creates a stink, which is why you kind of have that, that idea. Is it, is it bringing shame or is it creating a, a stink? Well, you know, maybe those are very similar. And so I, lo I love what, what one author said about these verses. He said, as far as the righteous are concerned, deception stinks. As for the wicked, the stench of their sin has attached itself to them, and everyone but them can smell it. What a shame. That, they, don't see, they don't see the stench, the shame that their sin makes, but the righteous person hates falsehood. It's the wicked that bring the shame and disgrace. Let's move on and look at verse 7 through 9, and we'll tack in verse 11 here as well. Um, we looked at verse 10 last week, so. Verse 7. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. All right, and then we'll read verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So we have some wealth proverbs here, and we had just talked about contentment. We sort of saw the satisfaction here um, with some of these other verses. But starting in verse 7, don't view this proverb the same way we viewed verse 9 of chapter 12, the proverb that said, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. They're a little bit different. Um, in verse 9, it was, it's a benefit to be humble and not proud, okay? The proverb in verse 7 now of chapter 13 is just about deception in any direction. God does not like deception, right? He despises it. Um, and so there, there's a difference between those two proverbs. Uh, God's children should be honest and upright, not deceiving people for their benefit one way or the other. If you think making yourself look poor would benefit you somehow, that's deception. If you think making yourself look rich would benefit you somehow, that's deception. Just be who you are. Be, don't, don't, don't deceive people. Just be honest, be upright, um, and live your life like that. And so um, that's the idea of verse 7. Is this, you know, deception in either direction. And now verse 8 is... is um, is an interesting proverb and really a, a great one here. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. We've seen proverbs before that talk about there's an advantage to wealth. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with having money as long as you don't trust it. But verse 8 seems to give us the flip side here. There's something riches come with. And that's worry. If you've got a lot of money, you've got to worry about what to do with it. You've got to worry about how to protect it. You, 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 have, you have some of those decisions to make. Um, my favorite cartoon when I was a child was a cartoon called DuckTales. And the main character, Scrooge McDuck, he was the richest duck in the world. He had all the gold you could ever want. 
And he built a big, huge building. He called it his money bin. And that's where he swam in his gold. That's where he kept it. But he really wasn't that happy because he was constantly worrying about people breaking into his money bin and stealing his gold. That's a little bit of what this proverb is saying. Exactly. Exactly. Brother Stan said, poor people don't get kidnapped for a ransom. And that's what, that's, in a weird way, that's what Solomon's saying. A benefit of being poor is you don't have to worry about losing anything. Well, that seems silly. I'd rather be rich and worry about losing it than be poor and not worried about losing it, right? Well, just let God handle that. But a poor person doesn't have that stress, doesn't have that worry. Now, if you polled all the poor people in the world, I'm sure they would rather switch places with the rich people because that's the way this world is, okay? Don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. Wealth is, is fine. We know that. Just don't trust it. But if you look at the last part of, of, of the slide here, Although riches provide advantages, contentment is the greatest security. That's what we need to realize. All right. So there may be a little hidden benefit to being poor. Poor person doesn't have to worry about it. Um, can you see, though, how you, can, you could pull a proverb completely out of, out of, out of context without, you know, we, we've gone through all these chapters so far and we've, we've read some other ones. You could, you could take one proverb and probably say some goofy things with it if you, if you really wanted to. Contentment is the greatest security. All right. So in verse 11, then, um, we've got more on, on, on wealth. Uh, and Solomon says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The word hastily here in the, the ESV is the same word that Solomon used in Ecclesiastes that was translated vanity. Um, I remember reading an author one time who described what vanity was. He says it's what's left over when you pop a bubble. I, I always like that illustration. There's, there's nothing there. Okay, It's the same word here, but it's translated hastily. Um, but it, it contrasts in line B with this idea of little by little. Little by little here literally is a phrase that is gathers by hand. And it, it's a phrase that means work. It, it describes work or labor, okay? So Solomon is not necessarily saying the speed in which you make your money is, is the issue here, but how you do it. The warning against gathering wealth by doing nothing or working for it. That's, that, that's the play here. That's the idea here. Um, now we think in our world today, sure, sometimes that can manifest itself in speed as well, right? Um, people uh, who go to a casino to gamble to try to hit it big, that could happen quick. Or someone who plays the lottery so they can get rich quick, right? That, that could happen quickly. Um, so it's not that that's removed from the idea of the proverb here, but more so it's the idea of you're doing nothing. You're not working. You're not working for it. And the general rule anyway is that that's not how wealth is increased. Did you know that casinos don't lose money? Or they'd go out of business, right? If the lottery lost money, they'd stop having the lottery. The wealthiest people in the world, they are not the wealthiest people in the world because they got lucky and keep winning the lottery. That's not how wealth is increased. 
most of those people, and now you, we, we could find exceptions, but the wealthiest people in the world have probably worked hard. They probably had great business decisions. They, they started a business that was really successful. They did, they, they've worked hard. Um, be on guard for any promises of wealth that don't involve work. That's probably politically incorrect to say. Mm -hmm. You had to work for it. Um, I think I can say this all right. We're, we're, we're live and recording, but it's all right. Um, I talked with Miss Geneva today, and she was telling a story of how she used to miss the first six weeks of school every year because she had to help her dad pick cotton. And I was thinking this. I didn't tell this to Miss Geneva, but I thought, I think, I think maybe we still should do that <laughs> and teach kids some work ethic, you know. Um, she said she had to do her schoolwork and pick the cotton at the same time. So she had double duty when she, when she was growing up for a while. Um, this is a, um, the, the idea of, of, of getting rich quickly, but in getting rich without doing anything. Um, it, it's not just a problem in our world because we see it all the time, but at the end of the day, this goes back to where are you putting your treasure? What are you seeking? Why do people want to get rich quick? Why do they want tons of money anyway? Because they're looking for something to satisfy. If you know the Lord, the righteous, your appetite's already satisfied. What else do you need? If he blesses you with wealth, enjoy it and give it away. That's what you should do with it. That's what Paul told, told Timothy, to, to enjoy it and be generous. Any questions or comments right here so far on, in chapter 13? Anybody? Y'all are going to go shred up your lottery tickets now tonight. I know y'all. Good. All right, let's, let's move on. Um, let's read verse 15 through 17. There's a little, uh, a similar thread here, uh, but I'll, I'll talk mostly about verse 16. Verse 15, Solomon says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Um, the, the idea of all three of these is just sort of, um, not to make it too trite, but what you see is what you get. Um, there's, does anybody know who Bill Parcells is? Bill Parcells is an old football coach. He won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants, and he said this quote one time about NFL football teams. He said, you are what your record says you are. And that seems like one of those statements like it is what it is. Well, of course it is. Right? It's, what are you saying? But have you ever heard football teams that had a losing record and they gripe and they say, we're better than that? No, you're not. If you were better than that, you'd have a better record. Your record is the perfect indication of how good of a football team you are. And in a, in a, in a little bit different way, this is what Solomon is saying here. If you're a fool, you're going to act foolish. If you're prudent, you'll act with knowledge. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. I understand that. But your actions say a lot about who you are. We talk a lot about words already. Solomon has, has given us a whole lot of information about how powerful our words are. But what's one of our own proverbs? 
actions speak louder than words. And so our words are extremely important, but also how you act is important, okay? So the good sense wins favor, sure. The way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. And to sort of take Coach Parcell's quote a little bit, you are what your actions say you are. So what are your actions saying about you? All right. Verse 20 through 23, and we'll sort of hit these, hit these quickly as well. We looked at 24 last week and, and 25 already. So 20 through 23, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer, will suffer harm. Um, this is a, uh, a proverb that tells us to choose your, choose your close friends wisely. Doesn't mean you can't have friends that are sinners. Everybody's a sinner. We, we understand that. But this was one of the very first applications that we saw in the entire book of Proverbs. All the way back in chapter 1... Solomon warned his son about getting involved with this gang of bad people who were making promises about quick wealth and uh, easy gain. So don't, don't succumb to negative peer pressure. That's what we, we learned in chapter 1. And in that chapter and now as well, we see that really there's some wisdom in not putting yourself around that type of peer pressure as well. If you want to be wise, surround yourself with wise people. Surround yourself with the kind of people who will help you become a better servant of God. But if you don't and you surround yourself with foolish people, you'll suffer harm. Well, before we left for school, uh, Dad would tell us, remember who you are. And uh, I'll tell Landon and Avery that now. Remember who you are. And along with that is choose your friends wisely. And it goes it's for all ages, but especially as you're growing up. Um, and, and you're at school and you, uh, you're meeting people, um, be friendly. Choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Um, again, for all ages, especially as you, as you grow and you need that, that influence. We all do. But. All right, verse, verse 21. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Um, I, I, Sort of said it this way. Don't be surprised when you catch what you're chasing. You know, if, if disaster pursues sinners, if you, if you want to live sinful, don't be surprised when, when it catches you. But the righteous are rewarded with good. And we sort of already read that, right? The appetite of a righteous man is satisfied. All right. Look at verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. You think about ancient Israel for sure, how important inheritances were with the land and, and everything. They were, they, there were even provisions in the law that, that would allow land to come back to family and tribes or to stay in those tribes and families um, because it was that important. And here we, we see that in this proverb that it's a good man who, uh, who has the wisdom and the foresight to even see generations to come. And what, what he's doing, the decisions, how he makes, might affect those, uh, his, you know, his, his children, his grandchildren. And then for, for line B, 
of a sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Just a couple of biblical examples of that. Do you remember how rich Jacob got working for Laban? Woo! I mean, do you remember how much Mordecai got of Haman's estate? All of it. <laughs> so there's, there's two biblical examples of a sinner, sinner's wealth being sort of given to the righteous. I, 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 um, and I, like, I love the example of Mordecai and Haman. You know, anytime you can say anything bad about Haman, it's good. Uh, so we'll take advantage of that anytime we can. Um, and then uh, verse 23. And let's see if, if, you, if you guys have questions or comments about these verses. Verse 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much, but it is swept away through injustice. Line A seems to indicate that it, even if a poor man will just work hard, he would receive what is needed to sustain his life. Um, he may not get rich, but his ground, as humble as it is, he could still produce what he needs. Um, seems to indicate that. Line B, though, is tough. Um, there's an obstacle that a poor man has, and that's injustice. And so um, on, the, on the slide now, line A indicates that even if a poor man works diligently, he would receive what is needed to sustain his life. Sadly, though, injustice is an obstacle uh, in a poor man's life. What's tough about the proverb here is that we're really not told maybe who's doing the injustice. And there's, there's different opinions about this. Um, it's not completely clear if the poor man is acting unjustly himself. Uh, maybe that's why he's poor. Maybe, maybe there's some consequences there, and, and that's possible. Um, we don't know that all the time. But it's definitely possible the injustice is against the poor man. Um, that happened a lot in ancient Israel. And so I, I tend to lean that way. If you made me you know, choose one of these sides, I would probably go to that side of the coin here. There's a lot of times you can read in the prophets where they are, um, they're scolded and rebuked for how they're treating the poor. Um, and so here you have a, maybe a poor man who, who is being mistreated and, and there's unjust things happening to him. And so he, he sort of can't get ahead um, because of the injustice in, in society. And so if that's the case, and I, again, I probably lean that way, this would be... This would be a proverb that would make uh, a wealthier person stop and think about how they're, how they're treating their, their poor neighbor. You know, are they being unjust to them? Are they, am I keeping that man from providing for his family because of what I'm doing or whatever it may be? All right. We've got our are you wise slide here now. All right. So this is a little bit from last week here. Uh, I did change it a little bit, but just to remind us about the teachability aspect in this chapter. Do you receive correction and make the necessary changes? Um, are we humble enough to be teachable? Are we, are we humble enough to listen to correction from others, from, from parents, uh, and especially from God's Word? And then if you're a parent, do you love your child enough to discipline them and to teach them God's truth and, and to teach them God's standards and those things? Um, deep down, who are you? What are the desires of your soul? Do you want more of this world? Do you desire sinful things? Do you desire to be wealthy quickly without working for it? Or do you have faith in God and just trust that he'll satisfy you? You trust in whatever God gives you that that'll be enough. Knowing, as Sister Amanda said earlier, the peace that he gives is going to be enough. The joy that he gives is going to be enough. That contentment will be there. And then finally, um, what do your actions say about you? 
Uh, we, we talk a lot about words, but um, we want our words and our, our actions to mesh. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to be the, the people in James that are, you know, double, double-minded people. We want to speak good, wise, gracious words, and we want good, wise, gracious actions, generous actions that show God's love. Um, if you act foolishly, you're a fool. If you act wisely, you're wise.